It is the 11 Dubcast with Johnny and Andy. I will tell you that prior to this day, prior to really about what four hours ago, um, I you know, I was sitting here thinking, like, okay, we got the dubcast going here, our topics, time to complain about basketball for 20, 25 minutes. That's good content. And then you know, a team that lost to Iowa pretty convincingly had no answer for Luca Garza comes around and, and then goes ahead this afternoon and just pretty much dominates the seventh ranked team in the country. Andy, how do you explain what the hell just happened? They didn't even look that great, frankly, against Maryland. I mean, they they were hitting threes, but they kind of were just hanging on. And, and for whatever reason, their defense kind of kept them in. How, how do you explain this result because i i really am having a hard time wrapping my head around it a little bit so it's pretty simple when they shoot well they win ball games right yeah i'm, I'm gonna go straight up john madden here the team that scores the most points wins at the, least 50 percent of the time it, it blows my mind because when you go back to those early months of the season we said they were shooting the ball at an unsustainably high percentage and then we went through right. you know january and in the early days of february where it was like they couldn't spit in the ocean and here you know the good ohio state was back again you know luther muhammad going nuts from behind the arc yeah uh and you know hitting what i think at one point uh rafferty said he's uh, averaging nine points a game and he had 12 through the first you know what 20 minutes of the ball game or something like that and it was all pretty much behind the arc so when when a couple of those guys get the hot hand going the defense that that's the thing maryland was really having to work for every bucket they got and you really watched ohio state was nuts on the boards i uh, thought that was a really nice thing to see that the defenses kept them in some of these games where they couldn't you know, hit, hit a bull in the ass with a tennis racket. Um, and they actually made the shots. I was really impressed with the shooting tonight and good shot selection too. That's the thing you and I have talked about before. Sometimes right. you're like, why on earth did you do that? There weren't as many really stupid mistakes, a few stupid fouls, a few, few was like, all right, come on. Um, there were a couple late there that I thought might come back to bite him. Uh, but I, I have to give them credit too, because there were a couple points where Maryland pulled back within, you know, five points. They were back to three at one at one point, and then Ohio State went on a nice little run, uh, and and defense held it, and they they shot well enough to make it happen. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, is that I, I watched this team, and like you said, there were shades of what you saw earlier in the season, and you get excited about it, and you're like, okay, yes, you're hitting the shots, good shot selection. Uh, turnovers weren't terrible. They weren't amazing, but they weren't terrible. Um, I, it's just odd to me because it always feels like you've got elements of a really great team and then they'll go on a lull or they won't do something really great. But then, you know, they'll, in this case, you had a situation where your defense really bailed you out. And I thought, I, look, when Maryland got within, you know, like what, like four points ish, you know, kind of towards the end of the game, I was like, that's it. Like I've, they're making a comeback. I think yeah. they actually at one point they got within three and I was like, forget it. It's over. Maryland has the momentum. Ohio state cannot keep scoring at the pace that Maryland is. And that that's exactly what Ohio state ended up doing. They, for whatever reason, they were able to respond and have an answer. And it's interesting to me that, after losing key contributors, I mean, you know, Kyle Young obviously got hurt during this game. You know, who long knows how long he's going to be out. 
I mean, it's it's really it's really fascinating to see how this team performs mentally. I guess if that makes sense, because I know yeah. we know the skill is there, right? We know the skill is there. We know they're capable of scoring all these points, but the fact that they were able to kind of coalesce and do what they needed to, you know, do at the end of this game down the stretch, I just didn't see it coming at all. Honestly, like I thought they had lost that mental edge and clearly they had not because for whatever reason, and I, you know, they're playing against a big time opponent. They're at home. They're in front of a crowd that I was actually pretty impressed by. I didn't think it would be super awesome on a Sunday afternoon, but they did pretty good. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I want to be excited about this game. I want to be really excited about this game. I'm, I'm having a hard time getting excited about this game because I don't know whether it's a fluke or if it's, actually signs of things to come and i really hope it's the latter but i I just can't shake that i think it's probably the former yeah so i i'm going to take the side that that this is this is a good sign this is what you want to see so this is now what um one six of the last eight something like that is that the is that the streak we're on now because they were i believe so five of the last six before the iowa law something like that anyway Four and zero versus AP top ten teams this season. I think was the stat I saw tweeted after the game. Only team in the country that um, has a four and zero record against the top the top ten. So I think that's pretty impressive. The other thing that I really uh, I got a kick out of, and and I had some people take me to task on it for Twitter, but uh, one of the members of the Maryland press corps um, referred to the, the this as a hostile environment. And my tweet was something <laughs> like, "This is the first time in history that the shot was ever credibly referred to as a hostile environment," because right. you know it's become such a uh, running gag at how terrible the shot is as a yeah. basketball venue. Great for other things, not not consistently good for basketball. And, you know, I'll I'll admit I was watching this um, from the comfy couch at at, uh, the Rancho. It sounded like the place was really a terrific environment. And you would would hope, you know, against the top 10 opponent late in the season, Big Ten tournament implications potentially, you know, as far as seating and so on. Yeah, it seemed like the crowd was in it and the team responded well. I I love everything about that. Well, here's the other thing. As far as my negative nelliness goes, I, it should be pointed out that if you look at the remaining games, I mean, Maryland was the game that I think all of us were tabbing as a pretty much a guaranteed loss, particularly after the Iowa yes, loss. I was. But, yeah, but you've got Nebraska coming up. That should should be a win. I mean, they're, Nebraska is you know one of those teams in the Big Ten that you can kind of definitively point to and say this is not a good team. Um, so Nebraska, you've got Michigan, which, you know, has had its ups and downs, but certainly, you know, a team that you should be able to play close and hopefully be, you got Illinois, you got Michigan state. I'm just saying if, if you are an optimist, if you're someone who says, all right, well, I'm going to take something from this game. It sets up pretty well for the final four games here of the season. And granted that doesn't really have a ton of bearing. I don't think on to say nothing of the, you know, NCAAs, but I think even in the big 10 tournament, I, you got to throw all of us out the window. But for me, you know, again, I was so hyped. I shouldn't think this way as a human being, but I was so hyped after the Iowa game going, it's over, it's done. And then I watched this unfold. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this. So I, I'm I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with it um, in the next four games. And, and honestly, here's what I want out of the Nebraska game. You know, that's coming up here on the 27th. They've got a few days to kind of, you know, recuperate, get back together, figure out what they want to do. I want to see them annihilate. 
Nebraska. I want to see an early season performance. I want to see like a November, December performance out of this team where they put up, you know, 80, 90 points and win by like 20. That would be, that would convince me that Chris Holtman has found the magic, you know, the Bugs Bunny's magic sauce or whatever from Space Jam, giving it to the team. And all of a sudden they have faith in themselves again. And you know, to, again, to go back to the mental aspect of it, to be able to stay in it and continue to keep pace with Maryland at the end of this game is a very good sign. To me, that's more impressive even than the win. If they had lost narrowly or something like that. The fact that they're able to stick with that at the very end, to me, says more than pretty much any other aspect of this game. Yeah, and, and the fact that they had there were a couple key moments there where that could have gone the other way so yeah Kyle Young going out with that high ankle sprain it sounds like um that that was a big moment because he was a guy that was playing with a lot of uh, you know a lot of pep in his step and him going out typically when he's been out that's been a harder luck for the team you know some of the the games that they played when he was out after his appendicitis um you know were not great and so they you know, played well through that. Um, you know, there, there's that whole thing with Cowan at the end of that technical foul situation. You know, sometimes when teams get emotional, you, you know, how are you going to come back to that? And was Maryland suddenly going to be playing with a bigger chip on their shoulder four minutes to go? And they were within, I think, eight at that stretch. Um, especially then when Maryland came back, as you said earlier, where it felt like, all right, they've got the momentum again. They've recaptured the momentum and we've seen Ohio state maybe kind of come apart in some of these games where they had been ahead and, and lost right. it and they didn't they kept things going in the right direction I, I was thinking this is probably maybe two episodes ago now it could have been last week I don't know but you and I were talking about this final stretch and what would what would be a good run would did they have to get four of the last six was it three and three uh, and I think I was on record saying hey three and threes is probably good considering mm-hmm. that you had Maryland, Iowa, and Michigan State in there. And hey, now guess what? You, you've stolen one that you were supposed to lose. So all of a sudden, those last four games on the schedule actually say, set up relatively favorably. Nebraska, uh, yeah, you got to go to Lincoln. Uh, but hey, I, I think that's a game you should win most of the time. And and getting Michigan at home certainly is, uh, is a nice one there to open up March. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about Illinois. I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, and you assume Michigan State's going to have the advantage in the their season finale. But um, right. still, you know, there's a really good chance that you pick up three out of those four games. Certainly two and two now of the final four. And that's a, that's a nice bit of momentum to go into the conference tournament. Yeah, and a lot of this is about seeding too. I mean, you you pick up a win like that in the top ten, that's gonna really, really help your case to the selection committee. So hopefully, hopefully they get out of that. I mean, I haven't really checked the bracket, you know, the projections recently because God knows I can change so much in the past in the every last minute, like, week or so. Every minute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they, you know, if they can get out of the eight nine realm and move a little bit up to the five or six area, that that would help them immeasurably. Um, going into the NCAA tournament. And again, it's all going to be dependent, I think, on how they perform in these last four games. You you get two or three of those games against the good opponents, against the Michigan and Michigan States of the world, to say nothing of like, you know, just kind of the cupcake stuff against Nebraska. But if you get those games, that's going to make you look really, really good and convince people that you've kind of turned a corner and that you are back to form at the beginning of the season. So that's what we want to see. Um, I, you know, it's all about March Madness, honestly, at this point, because I think yeah. that, 
especially with this win, they've solidified it. Big Ten tournament, I don't know that anybody's going to take a whole lot of stock in the Big Ten tournament, no matter what happens, just because the Big Ten is such a ridiculous, like insane, you know, Mad Maxian hellscape at this point in the season. Like nobody knows who's good anymore. Um, but it's it's fascinating. And, and like I said, hopefully they've kind of turned a corner a little bit and they can convince people in the country that that is the case. Uh, bracketology wise joe lenardi this was um you know end of the week before the maryland game had ohio yeah. state as a six seed okay so, all right you so know. looking up that's great yeah trend, trending in the right direction i guess uh jerry palm oh i'm trying to find where i found palms but i thought yeah i had him as a seven seed right so you know you're in that kind of six seven range and i think and, people and that, i mean that's probably about right than- yeah, they'll take more stock in the Maryland game than the Iowa game, and, and because Luca Garza is so good, and they'll they'll look right. at that and go, okay, well he's national player of the year contender, so you know things like that happen when you got to play him. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting. So we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on that. I'm I'm obviously extremely curious how the seating works out and Big Ten tournament all that. But we would be remiss if we didn't point out that football is really just a state of being that never really leaves us as Ohio State fans, and they're the Big Ten is going to be setting up, in my opinion, for one of the more interesting springs in a long time. Like, we've talked, obviously, about, you know, Ohio State having, you know, big transitions and things like that. I think, really, the Big Ten low-key is going through some some changes, some sea changes, uh, not just this year, but maybe the next year or so, that are going to kind of reshape who's at the top. Because I'm, like, you know, our uh, our own Andrew Ellis had a story, um, you know, earlier, uh, I think yesterday, um, talking about some of the um, the big storylines for the Big Ten, right? Like what's going to happen? And, and chief among those, for example, is is what's going to happen at the quarterback spot at Michigan. I got to tell you something, Andy. I don't like that's important. That's really important. Who is going to be able to like actually step in and, and Shea Patterson's spot? You know, people talk about Dylan McCaffrey and you know other people that's on the squad. I I am of the opinion that. And I've written about this, and I, I know Michigan's kind of stuck in this catch twenty-two where Harbaugh is just good enough to keep them around. I, I think they take a significant step back this season. I, they don't lose a huge amount, but I think they lose enough key guys where they're going to look bad in some games, and and not just like boring bad, but like bad bad, and enough to get people start talking about should Harbaugh really be the guy to continue, uh, you know, captaining that ship? Because I, I just think it's they've been teetering for a while now. I really think this next season might be the season where they just, the whole thing just falls over. What's it, what's it take? How bad do they have to get how quickly for the powers that be in Ann Arbor to finally pick the scab? I I mean, they will be If he has a winning season, they'll give him whatever benefit of the doubt, you know, he needs to, to keep him on for a, another season after that. I just don't know that it's rescuable. I, to me, I think that they, it is possible that they will have a losing season. Like, honest to God, like that's where I'm at right now because I'm looking at some of the people that they lose them. They, it took them the entire season to develop a coherent offensive philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> and it, even that wasn't that great. It was just working with what they had. And this is something that, you know, coaches should be able to do on a regular basis anyway. They weren't able to figure that out until two thirds of the way through the season. So I, I'm telling you, man, when they don't have Shea Patterson, if they have a losing season, to me, that will be enough for them to start going. You've got one more season, Harbaugh, and that's it. Now, if they have a winning season, if they go like eight and five or something like that, whatever, Harbaugh will be able to be coach, you know, until the end of time. But I don't think he's that great. And I, I really do think that Michigan has the potential, the potential 
to to have one of those like just the whole house is on fire kind of seasons. Um, I was waiting for it for a lot of last season, frankly, and they kind of avoided it. But I I think I think it could happen. I really think it could happen. Um, their uh, their their off season schedule is interesting in that they're traveling to Washington. Um, you know that's not a game that I expect them to to lose by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's Washington um, is good, right? They're not fantastic. I don't well, they're dealing with the they, loss of their head coach, and they're they're definitely in a lot of flux, obviously. But yeah, and they didn't finish the season ranked. I think did they no. did they drop? They did win their bowl game, I guess. So there was there was that. Um, but you know that being that it's at Washington, I don't know if that matters or not. Then they don't really, you know, they've got Ball State and Arkansas State, so it's not like they've got any uh, other big non conference matchups to worry about. Um, Mich- they're they're at Michigan State this year, in Columbus this year. So those are those are both challenges. Now they do get Penn State at home. Yeah. Well, here's here's what I would say. So the thing is, is that if you look around the Big Ten in general, like there are a lot of like up top, there are a lot of guys who you either expecting a lot from or um, a lot of departures, right? So you know we you know we talk about like Penn State for example, James Franklin is going to have like he has skill at that program and i think that's one of the things people really underestimate again you you look at guys you know who make kind of quick impacts there and and people you know saquon barkley is amazing he's great but it's not considered to be a hallmark of the program that Mm -hmm. is an incredibly skilled program wisconsin is an incredibly skilled program yes they are losing jonathan taylor they are going to be able to replace him with another guy who does pretty much the same thing. And I like, I got to tell you something that is just a, there are programs in the big 10. This is my point. There are programs in the big 10 that are going to be consistently good for a long time, because what they've done is they've been able to develop and build up their like overall program skill level. I haven't seen that from Michigan. So there's a ton of things that they have to do. You're like, suggesting player development is not one of their that's strong my point. suits. Paul Christ, Paul Christ has been taking these guys who are not like great recruits in terms of like stars and things like that. And what he's done is he has been able to like coach them up into an incredibly competent core. And I just, you know, their offensive line is going to be really great. Uh, they're going to have guys who are going to be able to run behind probably you know, one of the top two or three offensive lines in the country, if not the best offensive line in the country. I just, I'm telling you, man, the Big Ten overall is starting to elevate its level in terms of skill and competency and coaching. Michigan isn't keeping up. And so I am really looking forward to like teams like Minnesota, right? With PJ Fleck and whether they're going to do for like an encore, right? After 2019 and where they just surprise the hell out of a lot of people. I'm looking to see what happens with Penn State and how they kind of like reload a little bit. I'm looking forward to see what happens with Wisconsin. I'm not super excited about Michigan <laughs> because well, I think it's just going to be this funeral dirge of a season where they're just going to kind of muddle through everything again. So I don't, I don't the, know, man. Here's the thing you've really got to worry about if you're a Michigan man. You know, Mel Tucker just moved in to East Lansing and what what's going to be really interesting there because it seems like People feel pretty good about that hire. It seems right. like he's putting together a pretty good staff. Uh, he's going to be Cracker Jack on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, so that that's already been a challenging rivalry for them in the Harbaugh era. You know, it maybe just got tougher 
uh, that, that because goodness knows Michigan State wasn't doing itself any favors um, with their offensive uh, programming over the past couple of seasons. And I think there could be some really interesting storylines coming, um, you know, with Michigan's other quasi rivalry. And, but what you really have to worry about if you're a Michigan man is look at, look at USC and yeah. look at how quickly one of the all time great programs in the sport of college football is almost irrelevant to the national conversation. Right. You know, Michigan, you are on the cusp of that pretty, pretty precariously balanced on the cusp of that kind of irrelevance. If you have the kind of season you're talking about, and then, you know, what happens? You, you sputter out and you drag out a hardball firing process. And who is the next person? Who is there out there that can shoulder the burden of being the vaunted Michigan man? Uh, And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, it's been literally 20 years since we've been competitive against Ohio State, and that means we're not relevant anymore at all. Right, right. And that's the thing. Like, you can't you, – this is the point in the Big Ten where you cannot sit on your laurels and expect that the other teams are just going to kind of putz around and you're going to be fine. I, I just – I've seen too much improvement and change uh, from some of these key programs that are just nipping at the heels of Michigan in terms of like relevance. And I just, you're going to see a situation where maybe it's Ohio state and Wisconsin, right? Like that's, those are the two teams that control the, the mm-hmm. conference from now on. So I just, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating to me. And again, if you're looking for storylines to pay attention to in spring ball, definitely look at the key positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver at places like Wisconsin, Penn state, Minnesota, that, that is going to tell you, in comparison to a team like Michigan and Ohio State, frankly, because Ohio State, while they return a lot, obviously, you know, there's some key losses there. You're gonna have to figure out what's gonna happen at running back and all that kind of stuff. So the I again don't sleep on these other teams um that I think typically we have slept on because that's been Michigan's, I think, real big sin, and it's it's screwed them over. Um, so that's you know, and that's on them. But Ohio State, I think, as a team and a coaching staff is pretty good about you know, keeping their heads up. Uh, by the way, last thing before we transition here, did you see Jim Trestle's amazing dance move? Uh, I got to I, I got to say, you know, the, here again, another reason I have pledged my undying loyalty to the distinguished <laughs> Senator from Youngstown. Right. Uh, and, and I, and I gotta say, you know, this is a good reminder. Um, I, I read uh, this week, I think it was in the dispatch that uh, the board of trustees is going to keep their, uh, university presidential search completely confidential and we're <laughs> right, not going yeah. to we're not going to announce who the finalists or the candidates are and you know public records requests be damned and so on but, but you know, maybe that's because we're very secretly trying to bring the man himself back home to columbus you know this this kind of uh gordon gee like exuberance that we've been missing in a university president watching jim trestle dance his heart out yeah i'm all about it I love yeah, it, so he was doing it for those who don't know. He was doing it for the uh, it was a danceathon for um, Akron Children's Mahoning Valley. So basically, uh, you know, fundraiser for the Miracle Network and all that. Um, raised sixty thousand dollars for the hospital. He put in five grand of his own cash, which is awesome. And it's you know, I'm with you, man. Like I, <laughs> I think low key, he he knows that this is the kind of thing that helps him like this is what he wants to do. Right. And this is what I think he wants to be known for. 
I don't think there are a lot of other guys. There are a lot of former coaches who go out there. Okay, I'm going to be a TV personality, or I'm going to do you know X, Y, and Z. Uh, Les Miles tried to be an actor for a hot minute. Uh, you know, or run for office. I think this is what Jim Trestle wants to do, and I think this is what he wants to be known for doing. So, look, it would be the craziest story in the world if he ends up becoming Ohio State's president, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it happening. It, it would not be one of those things where I would be shocked by just because of who he is and what he loves to do. And I don't know, man. I, I, I love the fact that this is like a man clearly in his element, and it's him hopping around stage to raise money for a children's hospital. I just think that's badass. I love the he, guy. He is. I mean, it. You know, I'm a fanboy. I, I won't lie about it. I just think he's one of the best all around humans out there, and that's why yeah. when you know you look back at the the, the annals of NCAA scandals and how how quaint. Uh, the scandal that befell him was and, right. and how ludicrous it was compared to some of the crap. What was it? Speaking of uh, the school we were just talking about a few moments ago that uh, a player crashed the AD's car or some craziness <laughs> yeah. like that, like you know, stuff people just shrug at these days. But my guy, you know, the great thing about the way that story is finished out is Jim Tressel in his element, you know, as president of Youngstown State University, just seems like genuinely one of the best people on the planet doing good things for kids, for students, for the community. Yeah, I'm couldn't 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 be happier for everybody associated with that. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, so we're going to transition to ask us anything. But before we do that, we want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. That's drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Uh, let's do some Ask Us Anything, which you can do by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or hitting us up uh, on Twitter at 11dubcast. Let's start with uh, our good friend Don. Don just wants to know, what does WMD mean? <laughs> <laughs> so i believe that don is asking uh in relation to the skull session is that correct you think yeah i i assume so that i mean that's the the only relevant reference i could come up with do we still I think yeah because i think don knows what wmd means it means weapons of mass destruction <laughs> but this is a <laughs> phrase that uh originated with our good friend dj burns um and dj you know obviously was the king of the skull session for many many moons and his you know the wmds were him like you know they were hit there is his quick hitters at the end he was he was showing you what his world was like and what he's paying right. attention to um so that's that's what wmds are don that, those are the the cool things that you need to pay attention to that aren't necessarily ohio state related as if you would ever pay attention to anything not ohio state related but if, if you have the chance to that's those are things that you should probably keep an eye on I love, um, I love the, one of the great things that I love about the skull session. And I mean, frankly, that was how I came into the fold is reading. And right before DJ even started as the skull session mix master, when it was kind of a rotating cast of writers on staff and footnotes yeah. were, were a thing that were used regularly. I love the footnotes for some reason. Yeah, that, thought, was, that was Sarah Hardy. That was her, that was her bag. That, she was great at those. Yeah. I thought they were fun. I, I got a big kick out of the footnotes, but one of the reasons that I love the skull session so much was because from sports to interesting reading, that's how I would describe it. Interesting reading. There are so many things that I would never have found uh, even as avid a Twitter user and, and other social portal user as I am. There are just stories that DJ and now Kevin <laughs> find 
that yeah. are real and, and good writing too. So one of the things I always loved when DJ was around the skull session was he would introduce me to such really interesting and good writers. And so as somebody who enjoys the craft of writing myself, I always like reading people who are better at it, which it's not hard to find people who are better at it than I am, but I always enjoy reading people who are better at it than I am to learn, yeah, you know, how they do what they do. And DJ and Kevin both just introduced me to some much good reading, good writing that I probably wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah, I, I really do appreciate both of their like obsessive, you know, I don't know that their analysis there, they're, they're always, you're always looking for good content, right? Like I used to do the skull session years ago um, on a pretty regular, I think I did it three or four times a week. And, you know, you just like, you're always on the lookout for something interesting, something that's going to move the needle and the stuff that DJ and Kevin are able to find, like you said, are just, they're amazing. I, I love the fact that they're just so tuned into that. It's pretty kick ass. So I enjoy that a lot. And that's, I assume Don, that's what you need that you mean by what does WMD mean? Uh, but if, if you don't know what WMD means after this, like weapons of mass destruction, maybe, maybe that's more of a clinical thing that we need to discuss. I don't know. Like, you know, a more academic thing. Um, but I don't know. So, uh, next one here, this is from Alvin. Alvin wants to know, uh, if we care to comment on the whole Astros debate, how do you, how do you feel about that? Andy, yeah, pitch at their head every time. I, I, yeah, okay, maybe maybe that's a bit harsh, but look, I I think the commissioner totally screwed the pooch on this deal. This is one of those kind of things where you know, blow it up, just blow it up. You have nothing to lose um, by calling this what it was, which was you know an absolute travesty. Uh, and I can understand why every player in the league who's not currently wearing Houston's jersey um is royally torqued and i think that you know i kind of feel there's a part of me that feels bad for the guys in that locker room because i think they're you know was that uh, the line from uh the line from uh tombstone you know tell them <laughs> tell them i'm coming and hell's coming with me <laughs> but i feel like that's probably what some of those guys are going to be dealing with this year so okay. i <laughs> just think there's too much you know, too much cheating in sports as it is yeah. that we can't prove. And here's one that was pretty blatant and burn it down. All right. So here's okay. In theory, I agree with what you're saying. And in sign stealing in baseball in particular is like it, it, it for people who aren't like all about baseball and they're like, well, okay, they're just seeing signs and stuff. This is considered to be one of the worst things that you can do because it basically undermines basically the entirety of the game right like if, if you know what pitches are coming to you everything changes for you yeah. and it makes the game so much more easy and you know exactly what's going to happen and you can adjust how you're going to like try to shift or run or blah, blah blah all these other things so my point is that from a baseball standpoint from a baseball fan standpoint totally understand why people just want to burn these guys at the stake right this is this is a huge egregious violation of mm -hmm. the central like belief i guess that you that one might have on the integrity of of the sport however what i will say and this is what i've been thinking about i'm like how often do you think let me ask you this how often do you think sign stealing in general goes on in baseball oh probably more than we'd want to imagine i mean i That's guess one thing. i'm but such so a cynical bastard that i I tend to look in like whatever the scandal is that, that gets reported. Right. <laughs> I, I assume it's a lot more pervasive and a lot worse than whatever actually came out. You know, okay. That's... So this is the thing that <laughs> this is why I kind of like get a little irritated by some of the people who are like, we got to take them out of the game forever. I'm like, okay, 
yes, what they did was terrible. And I think the punishment was not enough and all these other things. I, I agree with that. But I also think it's really, really, really naive to go like, well, they had this whole sophisticated thing with like sounds and blah, 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 blah. So that means it's not happening other places. There are so many other ways that players can tip off batters to pitches, to signs, all kinds of stuff like that. And it, I know it is happening on a regular basis. Um, I listened to a, there was a, Jim Day did a podcast with Joey Votto. And I listened to the whole thing. It's like an hour and a half long. And it's just Joey Votto just kind of riffing on things. And eventually they get around to talking about the Astros scandal. And Joey Votto kind of made the point where he was like, yeah, it's terrible. And I, he didn't want to comment on individual punishments because obviously um, he wasn't going to do that. But he did say, you know, sometimes like people wouldn't want those sign signals because it screws up their timing or things like that. But the point is, is that he was kind of implying that it's actually pretty easy to get those signals if you really want to yeah. do that. It's it's not right. something that requires an incredible amount of subterfuge and some kind of like James Bond level, you know, like infiltration of the opponents, you know, s- you know, system and things like that. It, it's something that you kind of just figure out. Well, and I think I think the thing that maybe has made it that as big a deal as it is is the the level of um you know implementation here with the, the electronics and oh, sure, uh, you yeah. know the, and, and then and then of course the cover-up's always worse than the crime right so right. it's how it's been handled care, which, which to me yeah. is one of the tip-offs that this is happening all the time right, right. with other teams but yeah the, the their their glibness about this has yep. been really stupid yeah, that's, um, and that, I that's what that made it such a lot. big deal. Because I, I, you're right that, uh, in to some extent, you know, if you figure it out, right? You know, you're just an enterprising young player, and you figure right. it out, uh, you know, and you're, you, you know, hey, this is what he's going to be throwing. Hey, you know, good on you. That's smart heads up play. But you've got this whole, you know, system, um, you know, in place to to do it. That, yeah, that's when it's like, all right, right. That's too much. That's beyond the. It's pay. a bridge we too can't. far. That's right. So I don't know. It's it's interesting to me. And, and sports cheating scandals are always interesting to me, just in terms of how it's handled and how people feel about it and whatnot. Well, look um, at, go back to Lance Armstrong. I mean, that's what I always go back to. Sure. I go back that, to Lance Armstrong. No, that's a good example. That's a really good example. Because everybody knows that literally everyone in the sports doing exactly that what Lance oh was my doing. God. And, and Lance yes. was doing it just at a higher degree than everyone else and or you'd say hey wait a minute if everybody was doing this then he really was the best in the <laughs> world right. because no, he was competing against a bunch of guys who were juiced to the gills too yeah i watch the tour de france religiously every year it is one of the most entertaining sporting events i i think it's fascinating how it works and how a peloton works and how these teams coordinate with each other and all that other stuff but they're all on drugs. They're all doping, like an enormous amount. And they would have to be. If you ever watch the Tour de France, they have to be doping to do even like half of the stuff that they do. It's psychotic the amount of biking and through the freaking Alps that they do. They they have to be. And that's kind of the, the agreement that I think watchers of cycling have made with themselves. They're like, okay, we know this is crooked and we're just going to kind of wait for people to get caught. Um, and, and maybe that's the difference here between the scandal and something like that versus something like in baseball, where baseball, I think, as a sport is really obsessed with kind of the purity of the game and all these other things. Um, yeah, I don't it's it's just it's funny to me how people react to things like that, because if you well, saw a scandal on a similar level with the Tour de France, people are like, oh, well, <laughs> that's just the tour. That's how it works. That's how professional cycling works. Well, and and here's and there's the yeah, that's that's a huge part of it is the perception that the you know, 
the cycling thing, it's, it was an open secret that everyone was doing right. it. It's the you know worst, worst kept secret in, in sports or, or whatnot. And the reaction from Armstrong, right? Both that right. he protested his innocence so vigorously and, you know, the, the ruining of other people's lives to maintain his own innocence and so on and the way he handled that. And then even years after the fact, you know, I've listened to him. I think he was on Malcolm Gladwell's podcast a few years ago or he was on, he was on a podcast I listened to that Gladwell shot puts together. He's not, you know, all that remorseful. I mean, he will acknowledge <laughs> that, hmm. um, you know, he made some mistakes and so on and so forth, but it's not, you know, it's not the kind of rebirth experience of, you know, woe is me. I can't believe I did this. It's more like, yeah, I probably went a little far with some of that. <laughs> so right. that's what people get jacked up about. And it's the same thing with the Astros. The fact that they don't seem to care that I think has people kind of all wound up tight about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I would agree with that. It's the, the response has not been uh, particularly, I think, intelligent from that, from that. Organization. Why are commissioners of professional sports leagues so bad in general at, you know, dealing with that. We, Roger Goodell, terrible at it. Now Manfred, yeah. apparently terrible at it. Uh, well, and people thought Adam Silver was like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. And then obviously you had the huge blow up, you know, with China and all that. And, you know, the also protest. terrible at it. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> I don't know. I, I think, I think you get guys in a situation where um, they're expected to handle these really big time controversial things and the day-to-day operations, they know what they're doing. They're, they're there to make money. They're there to make sure. Mark Emmert at the money. NCAA, terrible at it. <laughs> like right. just, the, the list goes on and on and yeah, on. But when it comes to actually having opinions and figuring stuff out, it's just, they're, like you said, they're just straight garbage. Uh, real quick. I want to get us out of here on this. Uh, Ramsey posted this in the forums. He wants to know um, if you are, I, I thought this is a great question of the week. Uh, for the forums if you are uh, wandering on high street it's midnight and you are starving okay you got 20 bucks on you where do you go that's tough david said apollos i thought that was a pretty good answer i thought that was a pretty legit answer yeah apollos uh, apollos is good uh man we were talking about some of the pizza joints the other night and this wasn't specifically on high street but we were talking about some of the pizza joints and how this has changed since I was an undergrad, but you know, I was pretty, I was pretty loyal to catfish biffs and um, Tommy's as far as great pizza joints. Uh, Hound dogs was okay. I'm trying to remember other places that, that we talked about as a group that I was going to uh, say, I was going to say PJs. I was going to say PJs. Uh, yeah. Places that we went to a lot when I, you know, the place I will, I will say this, the place that I went to so, when I wasn't even went to, but they delivered so many times my first two years, I don't even think it's still there anymore, but there was this place called King's pizza and pasta. Okay. And they delivered, you could get like lasagna delivered to your dorm at three forty-five in the morning. It's fantastic. And the, and the only reason I know that I worked the night desk in Scott house to, to help make ends meet my freshman year in the dorms. So you're working the shift from one to 5 a.m. You know, you and another student worker, ostensibly you're studying. Really, you're just taking turns, taking naps and right. making sure that, you know, serial killers and axe murderers aren't coming through the doors after hours. Right. And, you know, what helps you stay awake more often than not is ordering food that is absolutely horrible for you somewhere <laughs> between two and three in the morning. You haven't been drinking because you've been on the clock. However, you're eating like you've been drinking because that's what's going to keep you going until you punch out. They actually had some pretty great lasagna that, you know, they deliver to you at an ungodly hour. And therefore that was kind of my, 
<laughs> my go-to for better or worse. Biggest spot on High Street that I miss is Mama's Pasta and Brew. And oh, yeah. On you there. That was, yeah. that was good nothing, stuff. Nothing better. Nothing yeah. better. All right. Rest so, in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. RIP along with Larry's and pretty much every other good thing about High Street. Uh, <laughs> but regardless, we will come back next week to have more hot takes about High Street food. Uh, we'll see where Ohio State basketball is at that point. I, we have, I don't know. I mean, are they going to be the number one team in the country? probably could they be unranked the week after that also probably likely i have no idea but until then i'm johnny and i'm andy and we'll talk to you next week